You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Shout it out loud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to the people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commandments of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on the high. This is the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves. It is only for the bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes. Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? It, it's not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cord of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke. Is it not the share of, it is not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wandering with shelter, when you see the naked to, claw, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then you will light Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do always, if you do away with the yoke of the oppressed, with the pointing finger of malicious talk, and if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. We miss Sean Bay. He's, if you weren't here last week, Sean Bay does our slides and our live stream, and he's taking a little break. And so we're having some technical difficulties, but thank you guys for bearing with. And I want to give a, um, just a huge blessing and shout out of honor to Meg Jacobs. Not only does she uh, hold it down on our announcements and even pinch us today for our confession and assurance, but she really holds uh, a lot of what we do here as far as COVID protocol, keeping people safe and expanding the boundaries to let more people in. And, and it's not an easy job, trust me. It is not an easy job. And she gets all the cranky emails and, and phone calls and yet still has to show up and wants to make sure we can all be here and worship in a way that's safe and wise. And so I just thank you all for your patience today as we navigate this change. And I want to say that we, like you, the leadership of the church, the staff and elders, are so desirous and hungry for a day when this is behind us. And we were like, remember COVID when? And like, and this place is packed out and the masks are off and we can just fully give everything to God. And we are working towards that reality, but we have to do so with prudence and wisdom. 
Because that's what we do as the people of God. We move prudently and wisely, not for our own sake, but for the sake of others. And so that's what we're navigating. It means we're going to mess up. And that's the good thing about church is this is a place where you're supposed to, people you're supposed to be able to mess up around. Uh, And so we'll get right. We're, We're working on it. And I just thank you all for being a part of that process because you are very much a part of that process. Okay, that was for free. Let's get into the word. Um, We have been going through, and this is the final week of our series, three pillars. We do it every fall, and this is, again, recentering us around our core values, and more importantly, like our foundational desires of this community. What do we want to be known as, and what do we want to be known by? And so you've heard the first week, Gemma took us through Pilgrim Community, which was about living in Brooklyn together by the values of heaven. We want to be a communal people who are living together with intention, right? And then last week, Carlos brought us formative encounter. We want to be people that experience the power of the spirit being formed in the image of Christ, that the Greek where there is dunamis, that's the, the, the word in Ephesians 3 where Paul says, now to him is able to do far more than we can ask or imagine according to the power, the dunamis at work in us. Or in 2 Timothy 1 and 7 where Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of dunamis, of power and of love and self-control. I, we want the fullness of God. And I would say you could be tempted to just stop there. And honestly, for most of my life, that felt like enough. That if I could just find a place where people wanted to like be my friends and together we would like get after Jesus, like we would just like love him and read about him and worship together and just like I could be around some other just people who desperately love Jesus and we could like see his power, that that would be all that I could ask or imagine. And then also what I experienced was, because I've been in places where there have been great people who deeply desired Jesus, and yet what I found was that this faith, it seemed altogether just kind of impotent and futile. Like, I couldn't ever get the fullness of the power. I would get tastes, right? But not the full thing. And this is actually much like the Israelites that we're reading about in our teaching text today in Isaiah, because the Israelites at this time, they are people who have these standards and practices that they've gathered around communally and individually. They fast, uh, they observe the holidays, they observe the statutes of the law, and they are desiring outwardly for the presence of God. They want to see the power. Look at our teaching text again in verse 2, right? God God is speaking, he says, for day after day, they, his people, seek me out, and they seem eager to know my ways. Skip down a little bit, and he says, they ask me for just decisions, and seem eager to God, for God to come near to them. And then in verse 3, look at what they ask. They say, we, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed They've come together as a people, hungrily desiring God, and yet they don't really see him or sense him. And I would give you this, that their failure was to realize that the power of God and the glory of the gospel is found in the middle of the mess. And what I mean by that is they wanted the glory, but they didn't want the mess where it lies. The power of the gospel isn't found 
fully when we sing together. That's beautiful. Hearing your voices sing, I understand. That was amazing, and that is great. But the real power, anybody can come and sing songs. We've been to concerts before. But the real power of the gospel, the thing that makes people pause, is when someone gets into your mess when they don't walk by you when you're crying, when they don't, they pause when you're underneath it, when you can't pay your bills, they're there not just with the I am thinking for you and praying for you, but they say it also with their checkbooks. That, that speaks to something altogether weird. I know a lot of places where people have fun together, but there are very few places where people will hold your stuff We have AA here, and um, I love talking to my friends who go through AA because I'm like, can I come? Like, they talk about walking into a place, and they say from the first meeting you go to, you belong. And, like, you step up and you admit you come in with your mess. And you don't come in with, like, your nice clothes and, like, you know, looking presentable. You just come in as you are, and the first thing that's known about you is that, hey, I have a problem. Here's my stuff. And that's met with you are here among friends. And then you get a sponsor and they call you every day. And it's like these people are in your stuff with you. That is the power of the gospel. That is the glory of God fully, fully. Yes, the singing and the worshiping together, the good times are great. But if we want the power of God, it's found on the other side of merciful presence. I have this uncle, you probably have an uncle like this too, uh, he's like read the Steve Jobs like biography and is like super into like all these American success stories like Walt Disney and he's like always just talking about like how they just like made it and did it and he wants their success but not the work of it like he's always in the get rich quick schemes you know like, he's like peddling like Lulu Roe and like you know trying to sell me some juice and stuff <laughs> And so he's trying to get to the billions. Like he wants the turtleneck, but he doesn't want all the like late nights, like actually slaving over hard decisions and working your butt off. Like, he, like we just want to fast forward past that and to get to the end of the story. But it doesn't work that way. That's why the third pillar of our church is merciful presence which is responding to injustice with mercy and compassion. Because when we gather as a pilgrim community, an intentional community, we will find and have found that formative encounter, really being transformed into the way of Jesus, is on the other side of merciful presence. Don't take my word for it. Listen here, again, in Isaiah 58. In response to this cry of their fasting, in response to this humbling of themselves, God says, okay, yeah, you're doing those practices, but is this the, not, the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them? and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. That's the call, but what do we get in return? Then, if then, your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. 
Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. I love that. If you don't know, the rear guard is a military term, which means the, the, the soldiers that are placed in the back of a formation that, that both help when we have to retreat and we've got to run back. They help keep off the enemy. They're our protection, and they're backing us up. They're literally covering our rears. Like God says, the rear guard is the glory of the Lord, and then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. We are desperate for God to say, here I am. And he's saying, if you want that, it comes on the other side of clothing the needy. It comes on the other side of giving shelter to the, the stranger. This is where you find me. You find me in the mess, because what God is telling his people is I'm not just sitting on my high mountain in all my glory, asking you to climb up these rocks. No, I have descended my mountain into the valleys. And so you're busy trying to climb mountains of righteousness, and I'm here in the valley cleaning up messes. And so if you want my presence, come to the valley. You'll find me a lot quicker. We have a pantry here during uh, the pandemic, and... Uh, and honestly, it is one of the most like spectacular things I've just ever been a part of. One of my first conversations in the church was actually with Lauren, who's here from California, hey girl. And uh, and like I just remember coming into this place with all these people, and like we didn't know each other, but we found these quick and fast bonds by just serving together. And Carlos talked about it a little bit last week. The things that we saw. You know, we can give testimony to the times where we're like, I don't know how many bags and how this is going to make it. And somehow there was more than enough bags. Like we saw like just crazy things and people who needed food and were found. And it wasn't just about some like us do-gooding, but it was about being in the middle of the mess and seeing God work things out for them and work things out through us. More of that is coming in this church. We're figuring it out. If we're going to be a pilgrim community and experience formative encounter, it won't happen without merciful presence. Now, I want to be clear. This is not a call to self-flagellation or a bleeding heart, as we New Yorkers are often labeled. But rather what I'm talking about is having a heart and a hand posture of compassion. This is what Paul is talking about in Philippians 2 where he opens that chapter and he says, therefore, if there's any encouragement with being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and any compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. He goes on to say in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or humility or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, compassion is, a, is an interesting word. In the Hebrew, the root of that word uh, is, is the same word for a mother, a woman's womb, right? And the image there, the, the concrete example there, that mother's womb, the, the extrapolation, the abstraction of that, is that a mother's womb, a mother has to go through so much pain to bring about life, but she is willing to do it so that her baby can live. And so this Hebrew sense of compassion is to be willing to undergo pain at my expense for the life of another. In the Greek, 
The word means, uh, it, it has this connotation of uh, the inner, the bowels, a movement, being moved by the bowels, right? The bowels considered the source of passion, but also it's like this. If you get a headache, you might bear it out. If you get a cut, you might sit still. If you get what we call where I'm from, the bubble guts, you start moving, right? <laughs> you can't sit still. This is not something we ignore. Our bowels call us forward, and they make us move. And so the idea was that compassion is about being moved urgently towards the needs of another. The word compassion itself in the Latin, the root of it is pati, which means suffer. And the prefix is called. So to suffer, to have compassion, is to suffer with. And we see compassion all throughout the scriptures. Isaiah 30, 18 says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious for it to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait on him. Isaiah 54, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, my unfailing love will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Psalm 86, 15, but you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. When we go into the Gospels, Mark 6, 34, when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had what? Compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. 1 Peter 3 and 8. Peter gives this exhortation to the church. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. This is what merciful presence is about. People of compassion, which means that your problems are my problems and their problems are our problems. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or admit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. We're all carrying something. And what a simple grace, a good grace it is when someone comes and is willing to help bear your burden, if only for a moment. All this begs the question is, do I really want to know and be formed in the way of Jesus? And if so, am I willing to meet God in the mess that is around me? I may be up for hiking the mountain to the top to see God's glory, but am I willing to slide down the mountain into the valleys to help him clean up some messes? What does this look like? Uh, this will surprise some of you, um, but I used to be a runner. Uh, and not like Robbie Brown, who's on the drums, who's like an ultra marathon, like runs like 100 miles. Let's not get it twisted. Um, <laughs> but I, at one point in my life, was good for a solid three miles. Like I could get after it. Um, and one day I was on this run uh, not too far from here. 
And uh, in front of me, just up ahead, there was a, a restaurant, and they were loading in some, you know, groceries or, or order or delivery or something. And right in front of me, I, I watch as this guy walks by this, this operation, and the guys that were loading had gone inside. And homeboy just, like, scooped up a, pal- a thing of tomatoes and kept it moving. Like, he just, like, grabbed this thing and just started walking off. And I was like... What do, you, what do you do? Like, I was just stuck. And before that moment, I would like to, to think that I was kind of the person that would have been like, hey, like, put that back. Or like, that's not yours, whatever. I would have like, like, hey, but I wasn't. I just froze. And I kept running. And I had this honest look at myself. I just wasn't actually willing or able to get involved. I would hope that I would be kind of more like Lindsay Reyes, who's one of our elders. Uh, uh, Not only is she an elementary school teacher, which God bless them uh, in such a time as these, uh, but I love the stories of Lindsay and her like uh, golden girls, her elderly neighbors that she just has not walked by, walked by, and she's been in their lives, and and one in particular who just was like going through uh, like potential displacement and having to move away, and Lindsay was like right there in the middle of that mess, trying to help her figure out ways in which she could stay planted in a home she's always known. I've never seen Jesus like more clearly. The fact of the matter is, like, most of us won't be the next, like, Martin Luther King Jr. We won't even be, like, the next Megger ever, so you only kind of know about him. Like, for most of us, the fame of our name probably won't extend much past these doors. But that's okay. Because the call of Jesus, the battling of injustice may not happen in the halls of power. For us, our fight may be here on the front line for our neighbors. It may be on behalf of the the kids in our local school. Or for the homeless person at the end of the block. Maybe that's the battle, the role that we play in this fight. Because see, the kingdom of God doesn't topple empires from the head. It cripples it at the knees. Small, small pockets of light burst through. And next thing you know, what happens to 12 people in a desert finds its way thousands of years later across a lot of oceans into Brooklyn. There's a story in the Bible that I really love, and I think it really explains kind of this, two things I think about what it looks like practically to be people of merciful presence, and it's Esther. I don't know if you've read Esther lately, but I would just ask you today, find some time. It literally will take you like 12, 15 minutes. It's very short. Uh, but for those of you who don't quite remember, maybe you're shaking on the story of Esther. So Esther is, this, is like eight chapter book of the Bible. And it's a story where this is about 100 years after the Babylonian exile. Uh, the people of Israel have been taken into exile. And now some have returned with like Nehemiah to rebuild the walls. But there are pockets of Jews still throughout the Babylonian empire. 
And we kind of just come in on this story of this one man named Mordecai. Mordecai has a, 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 she's a cousin, really, but she's an orphan. Her parents have died. And so he has taken her in as his own, as his kind of his niece, and he's like raising her. And then what we come into is this broken system where the king, and Esther's a story full of like, of small men with like ego complexes. Um, and so the first one that we meet is King Xerxes, and he gets mad basically because his wife doesn't come when he beckons. And so then the other small men that he's surrounded by say, hey, if we let this slide, then women all around will stop listening, and so we can't have that. And so what he does is he says, okay, we're going to remove her publicly as queen and make sure that like she's uh, thrown out in this public humiliation, and then we're going to have a beauty pageant, we're going to find... Uh, another wife that's more suitable and will listen. Uh, and then we'll put out a decree that women should listen to their husbands, right? And so they go about this task. And so they go out all throughout the empire and they're gathering up like delightful young women. And Esther is really beautiful and she gets taken, chosen uh, into this masquerade, this search for a new queen. Before she goes, her uncle Mordecai tells her, hey, when you go, don't let them know that you're Jewish. Just, like, keep it under wraps. Don't tell them about me. Just go take a part. And so she does. And when she gets into it, long story short, Esther is kind of the belle of the ball. She finds a lot of favor, not just with the people that are choosing this next queen, but also with the king himself. We leave Esther. We go back to Mordecai. There's this servant of the king, Haman. He's like a second in charge of the kingdom. He's got a lot of honor and glory. Mordecai doesn't like this guy, so he refuses to bow before him. This makes Haman feel small, and so he acts small. And so he says, well, I'm not just going to, like, hurt you, Haman. I'm going to hurt your whole people. I'm going to kill all the Jewish people. So he comes up with these schemes to basically get the king to put out a decree that on this day, that he, that on this day, all the Jews anywhere in the empire can be murdered and all their property can be taken. The king agrees, and so this decree is sent forth. Mordecai hears about this. He's deeply distraught, right? And so he goes out, and he rents his clothes, and he's like in public mourning, and Esther hears about this. And so there's this scene right here uh, in the part of the story that I find really beautiful. Uh, Esther sends her servant to go find out what's wrong with Mordecai. He sends her back the decree that's been given. And then uh, chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, um, and she tells him, like, hey, let's, like, just go back home. We'll, we'll figure this out. He tells her this. He says, uh, do not think that because you are in the king's house and you alone of all Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but what you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together. All the Jews are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. What does it look like to be people of merciful presence? I see two things here that I think gives us a context for that. The first is this. What does it look like? I think it looks like being quietly committed. Verse 16, let me just read that again. In, this, in the response to this problem, Esther tells her uncle, hey, 
gather all the Jews and fast from me. Eat, uh, do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my servants will do the same. By quietly committed, I don't mean like voice. I just mean like, what does it look like to be committed in the small ways? So they're facing this problem, and they decide what we're going to do is we're going to fast, and we're going to go before God. It wasn't like, hey, we're going to like first just go hold this protest. No, in these small ways, we're going to center ourselves around the Lord. I think being people of merciful presence is about being committed on the small levels because we may look at this church and hope that it's like more diverse, but the problem is our church will only become fully diverse when our kitchen tables do. And that's not just a word for my white brothers and sisters, or it's not just a word about race. Because all of us have someone that's an other. And the question is, are the other present in my life and in my daily reality? We live in New York City, so the answer is yes, they're around you, but do you see them? And so before we start trying to figure out how we can get in here and break things up and shake things out, I would suggest that maybe we become quietly committed in our day-to-day lives. And that it fleshes itself out there. Because before we can shut down the prison industrial complex, maybe we've got to get to know the kids in the corner who are being shoved in the school-to-prison pipeline. Because when we know them and they have a name and they're our kids, well, then we're vested. And it's not just something that we're doing to, to helping for those people. It's, we're, we're, this is for us. You or me and I am you. Like Your problems are my problems and their problems are our problems. But it's going to start small. And it may never get big. Right? We may never find ourselves in the Hall of Congress. But in these halls, well, we can see the kingdom break out. I think we could. Could you pray this week for God to open your eyes to the messes he's in around you? And then pray that he would give you the courage and wisdom to get involved. Being quietly committed. The second is this I see in this little passage. There's being quietly committed, but then there's times to act which are before you. And those may be small moments and they may be large moments. And in those moments... Our quiet commitment must lead to bold conviction. What does it look like to be boldly convicted? I love these two things. Listen in verse 14, as Mordecai is responding to Esther about this, this, uh, this plan, that this need to deliver for the Jews. And, and let me give you a little bit more context of what's happening here. I forgot. So Mordecai's response to, to Esther is that he wanted her to go before the king and ask that the king would do something. But the problem was, Esther's like, you can't just walk into the throne room. If I walk into the throne room unannounced, literally there is only one law for people like that. They get killed. And so she's like, I can't do it. And that's when he responds like, hey, well, don't think they won't come for you. But listen to what he says. He says, he says, for if you remain silent at this time, Relief and deliverance from the Jews will rise from another place. Mordecai was like, I mean, God's going to do it. You just might miss out. He's convicted that God is going to act. And it's not about them. It's not dependent upon them. They just get an invitation to play. 
And then I love Esther. After she gives this call to fast, what she says, when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Oof. I may spare five dollars. But like, what if I need to sell something to help somebody? Like, I may pray for you for sure, and that's a powerful thing. But like, do you really need me to help you move? Like, you know, like... Do I really have to give up my seat on a Sunday so I can make sure you come in? Like, how much are we willing to give up to be boldly convicted? Mordecai knew a faithful God. And I just don't want us to be mistaken. God is going to use people to reveal himself in his glory in Brooklyn and in Williamsburg. I just fear it may not be us if all we want are nice gatherings and compelling sermons. And I don't think that's what we want. I think we want to be in the mess. And I'm just saying, like, I'm here for it. I'm trying to get into some good trouble. That we would become people of merciful presence, that we would open our eyes to the brokenness around us and say, how do we get involved? Because here's the truth, and the band comes up. God reveals his merciful presence through messy people. Here's what we can't lose sight of. None of this is about you. And none of this is about me. It is all about God. He does it. That's what Mordecai is saying. He's going to bring about justice. You just have an invitation to partake. And if you want the fullness of life, join in but he's going to do it because you can't do it and I can't do it. God is the protagonist. He hasn't called us to come up with a plan to topple centuries of subjugation and exploitation. He's called us to just open our hands and to be agents of his work and get out. If we're up for getting messy, we're going to move to response. Um, and I hope, I, I just want to say, I, I hope wherever you're listening to this or, you know, wherever you're at, this doesn't hit you as some condemnation or some, like, you're not doing enough. And, like, I know how it is. Honestly, my wife, like, I'm like, do I have, do I recycle this? Like, if I throw this away, is, like, the world going to burn? You know? And you're like, can we order from that store? I don't know. You can drive yourself crazy. What I'm imploring you 
is to be willing to get into the mess. To avail yourself to God because he's working out justice in this world. He's metering out his merciful presence. He is feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and healing the sick. But he's using people because that's what he's chosen to do. So why not us? Why not me? And so if we want to be about Jesus, that's the way. I just, you know, I, I say, I've said it once, I'll say it again. We live in a city of incredible brunch. There's really no need to be here if you're just like here for kicks and giggles. There's much better places. There's much better places, much better things you can be doing with your weekend. If we're going to be here for Jesus, let's be here for Jesus. Let's get in the middle of the mess and let's live out what he's called us to. I usually have my nice communion. Still one of these. In a second, one of the ways we're going to respond is that you're going to come up and be able to grab one of these communions. Meg Jacob special. And it's so necessary on days like today that we start our response with communion. Because Jesus established the communion table as a reminder that any mess that we get into, he's already there. And he knows a thing about getting out of sticky situations. <laughs> because his body was broken and his blood was poured and he was put in a borrowed grave. And they, his enemies thought that was the end of that. But after three days, he rose again because he can conquer death. He says, when you gather, do this often in remembrance of me. And so this reminds us that the power that we will fight any injustice that we find, the power that will help us engage the problems and the, the, the burdens of others can only come in and through the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And it is the most effective power that it is, there is. And so when you take communion today, would you reflect on the goodness of God, the gifts of God for the people of God? can stand. There's a couple of things I want to do in response, or I'm going to offer to you. You can choose to do what you want to do. First is communion. You can come. You can take it back to your seat. We don't mind if you slip your mask off and take it, but please put your mask back on. Miriam, team are going to lead us in worship and we're going to sing with all we got. And then we have these prayer rugs. And honestly, if you haven't been here before, these prayer rugs, they're not magic, you know. Uh, this isn't Aladdin. Uh, but, but what they are, there are just, just carved out spaces where you can just do with your body what your heart is doing. If you need to lay before the Lord and just say, Lord, I just bow before you. If you need to get on your knees and just cry out,
God, I need you. Well, that's just a place for that. And then we're going to pray. And there's a couple things of prayer. Uh, so there are going to be like people up here that are part of the prayer team. And, and, and there are people that, that are, are trained in both like hearing and prayers and, and giving uh, a word and a word of knowledge or a prayer of prophecy, even, you know, a prayer of healing. Whatever they can, they will join you and meet you in prayer. But I don't want you to be confused that like you got to be up here with the lanyard to pray and that these are the only people who can pray. So what I'm going to ask is this, and you're going to have to choose to do it. I would ask that you would like get the person next to you or maybe someone you came with or if you see someone alone. And I wonder if you would pray for them today for something that they're carrying. I'm going to give you a couple parameters for this. If someone asks you if they can like pray for you, what would it look like to just be honest with something that you're carrying? Now, I want to I put this caveat in there. Vulnerability is a strong drink. <laughs> and so we got to be sh- careful and know who we're serving it to. So if it's your friend that you came here with and you know, maybe you share that thing that like they're willing and able to carry you with. But now if it's a stranger, I'm not asking you to share that thing about, you know, your deep mother wounds because you don't like know them or if they're even strong enough or healthy enough to help you in that. And so maybe we share something that's like emotionally and relationally appropriate to the person that we're talking to, and that's okay. We can only carry what we can carry. And so for those of you that are praying, you may be like, okay, that's great. I've never prayed for anyone in my life. I don't know what that that looks like. Okay, so for you, uh, I've got this little slide up here. Uh, All right, this is just a, a quick template. Okay, it's so simple. So are you going to say it's like, you're going to ask them what the thing is so they can say like, uh, I, I lost my job. Okay. And you can say, in losing their job, Lord, may they feel you as their solid rock. Lord, may they know you as their refreshing fountain. And then you're going to have to get their name, right, if you don't know it. So like, say Ida. I'll say Ida. Ida, trust in him who loves you. Amen. It's very simple. We don't need, like, you know, this isn't, we're, we're not on a mountain. Just real quick. Okay. So that's the little template. You know, if you need it, take a picture of it real quick because we're going to have, like, the words of the song there. So uh, so if you never pray for anyone, that's how you can do it. If you know how to pray, you feel comfortable about then just pray for them. But let's get into the mess. Let's give it a try. Let's see what breaks out. Okay? Let me pray for us. God, would you stir up our affection, not just for you, but for one another? Would you give us vision, Lord, for the messes that you are cleaning up around us? And would you give us the courage and the wisdom to join in? And for those of us, Lord, who are here and we are burdened, may we find the grace to know that's okay. Sometimes... Sometimes your, your hands are full and you can't actually pick up someone else's stuff because your hands are too full and that's okay. Be released of conviction of that. For you then, God, would you let them know and give them the invitation to share that burden with another? To have the courage to let someone come bear their burden with them. To have the courage to be reminded that you want to clean up their mess. 
So wherever we at, God, would you meet us? And would you lead us forward in the path of righteousness, forming us through this encounter into a pilgrim community who know deeply your merciful presence? Amen. So come, respond, we sing, we take communion, we use the rugs. Let's pray for one another.